Small multifamily properties make up an important part of the affordable rental market. Nationally, about a third of all multifamily properties are 5 to 50 units. But despite the large proportion of the market made up by small properties, this has been a hard part of the market to serve with consistency across the country. It's a part of the market that is operated differently from the larger multifamily properties that many of us think of when we hear the words multifamily or apartment. Over the past several years, that's begun to change. But how and why? Hello and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Corey Aber. And I'm Steve Guggenmoss. Today, we're going to look in depth at the small multifamily market and some of its unique characteristics through the lens of Freddie Mac's Small Balance Loan Program. We're joined on the show by Meg McGalkin, co-head of production for the SBL program, and Catherine Evans, the head of underwriting for SBL. Meg and Catherine, thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So uh, so it's the five-year anniversary of the Small Balance Loan Program. To get us started, uh, could you share with us a little bit of uh, the history? So I think to go back to think about our origins is really to think about the vision that David Brickman set for us, all of multifamily, challenging us to really be pro- providing liquidity and supporting affordability into every corner of the multifamily market. When we took a step back and looked critically at our book, we weren't focused enough on the small balance loan space. One thing that's consistent is uh, is that this program really serves the mission of Freddie Mac pretty well. Maybe um, we can speak about that a little bit. Yeah, the and the cool thing from my perspective is that we really, it does feel uh, very mission driven. And, you know, we, you feel that when you're inspecting a property, when you're talking to sponsors, it's very obvious that um, many of our sponsors are fixtures in the neighborhoods where their properties are. They, they know the residents by name. Um, they see them in the local coffee shop and the diner around the corner. And, um, uh, the folks that these properties uh, support in terms of residents are our teachers, our firefighters, our police officers. And so those folks are very important to the fabric of those communities and making them safe and vibrant places to be. Yeah, we, we typically don't work with institutional type clients. Um, you know, oftentimes our our borrowers own three, four small properties, sometimes up to, you know, 10, a little bit more than that. But um, but they truly are based in those communities um, that uh, that their properties are also located in. Yeah, and it's impactful too for for that, them individually and for their families. We have stories uh, talking with sponsors and asking them, you know, what they think about SBL, uh, and they get teary eyed because there's a lot. This means a lot to their family as they plan for ch- their children's future, for retirement, and so it really is a sense of pride and uh, very important. Them. Yeah, that's fantastic. And when I think of it, I think that these properties, you know, unlike uh, the great big institutional properties that that tend to be concentrated, these can be mixed into all neighborhoods, you know, across a city, and uh, and have relatively low amenities, and and thus can serve uh, a pretty big, uh, you know, differing different neighborhoods well. So I'd like to understand a little better about. Uh, some of the neighborhoods that you've been in around the country and how the properties uh, serve those neighborhoods. Yeah. 
So I'd be happy to share a story of, of two brothers who are repeat SBL borrowers in the in the Boston area. Um, Boston was a really hard market for SBL to crack. It's very bank heavy. And um, these brothers are first generation immigrants who came to the U.S. to make a better future for their families. Um, they started with the pizza shop. And then they slowly started acquiring small multifamily properties one by one, focusing on that B minus, C plus workforce housing um, asset outside of, of Boston proper. Um, and when our SBL team came into Boston to meet with them a few years ago, the brothers were pretty skeptical of the big, G scary GSEs and uh, because they had really good banking relationships. Um, but our rates were pretty attractive at the time, and, and so they decided to take a chance. And they've come back to us over 10 times since. So um, as they acquire these new properties around the area, uh, one thing that makes them so special is, is similar to the characteristics that, uh, that Catherine was, was describing before. Uh, when we go out and we inspect the properties with them, they know every tenant by name, um, some of those tenants have been living at the properties for 15 plus years, and and the brothers take a lot of pride and ownership and, and care in maintaining the properties because they know that those tenants are are calling those apartments home. That's where they live. That is really impactful, and uh, and I think that that's something that probably, like you say, Boston was a market that was difficult to get into, and now you have. Uh, uh, things have changed, and you've got a, a customer that comes back for repeat business. Are there um, are there other things that have changed about the business over time? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we didn't mention in the beginning is that's really important to the program is the rate hold. So initially, we didn't have that as an as an option, and we quickly realized that in order to be competitive, that we needed to be able to hold the rate for our customers and give them that surety of execution. So that's been an important change. I think also an important change has been uh, the push to transparency, which is a little different from the conventional space where they have the the benefit of seeing the deal actually two times. We we receive the package to to for the initial quote, and then we receive it at full underwriting space. If a transaction um, has no need for us to look at it at the beginning and that there are no credit concerns, the first time we're seeing it is when the full underwriting package comes in. So it was a, a bit of a shift to think about how we transfer our credit mind and culture to our Optigo lenders and to give them that how would Freddie think about it perspective. So we've pushed a lot of transparent uh, information to get that into their hands so that their teams are thinking similarly to us. We have a, a weekly update that goes out on Fridays that can share, we'll share different tidbits of what changes that we're making along the way. We've pushed a lot of information into our seller servicer guide as a way for our Optigo lenders to have access to that information. So it sounds like the transparency is uh, is amongst all parties that are involved, kind of all stakeholders. It's amongst uh, Freddie Mac, uh, the Optigo lender, and making its way down to the borrower as well. 
It is, yes. And some of the challenge, and maybe Meg can talk a little bit a bit about it from the production perspective, is uh, reaching into that more opaque space when you get into um, the reaching to the ultimate borrower and how do they get the information and learn about Friday Max. So it's getting the information in the hands of our Optigo lenders, but then they're transferring that knowledge to broker networks. Thinking back to the example you gave of Boston, I'd like to understand more how how you and we as Freddie Mac really build that local expertise in all of these markets to go along with the work that you know, our lenders do. And, and I can jump in quickly on that and say that uh, I know as uh, in, from a research and modeling perspective, um, we connected in with the business early on and uh, as we were thinking about where the risks are and we always, as we get into a new business line, are careful to think about how is this like our conventional business? How is it different? And how can we measure the risk and uh, and uh, make appropriate decisions? And so there was very little data available on the small balance loan space uh, back at that time. And what we wanted to do was get some feel. So we pulled from the broader securitized market in the CMBS market, we pulled information on how loans performed and small loans and large loans across the country. And we certainly found that there was a relationship that in the uh, most populated, um, uh, most uh, economically you know, vibrant markets, that's where loan performance was better. And, uh, and we wanted to incorporate some of that, even though we didn't have um, hist- a ton of historical performance on small balance loans, we wanted to incorporate that into our market views. So we found concentrations of population and households and considered certainly you know key renter cohorts and job formations. And we looked at that down at the county level and, and even beyond in some places and found where we thought the most robust performance could be expected. And, uh, and certainly we think that that's the case in, in many gateway markets. And that's something that we could do by processing a bunch of data at our desks. Uh, but the great thing I think about Freddie Mac is it doesn't just end there and turn into a policy, but then it goes out into you know, our, the real expertise that's in the markets. Uh, and that's where uh, the two of you pick it up. Yeah, so I think that really set the table for us to begin to analyze down to the county level, focusing in on some of those gateway markets and upper echelon multifamily markets. And then from there, after we sort of had our initial determinations of what we thought would be those higher performing or what we call top markets, then we went sort of to the streets to, you know, then we partnered with our production team to really understand what our teams were seeing out in those markets and submarkets and understanding some of it really is down to a neighborhood and a street level. And so by having the, the, team members spread across the country, and they're typically in cohorts of both production and underwriting teams so that they can um, push on each other and really um, understand the dynamics of markets together. Yeah, we we have eight different uh, offices around the country. So we have five different regions, the Western region, North Central based out of Chicago, South Central based out of Dallas, and then Northeast and, and Southeast. And, um, and, and we are in the markets 
all day, every day. Um, not only is it meeting with borrowers and meeting with optico lenders and and doing market tours and 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 whatnot, but we're also inspecting all of the properties that we are uh, that we are financing. So um, so we're getting out street by street um, in a lot of these locations and and seeing each property in, in each market. Well, and even hosting cool events like the pop-up event that you held mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City, which is a emerging market that we see performing very well. Yeah, we had a, a team there for almost an entire week um, where we had a pop-up office, and and it was um, staffed by both production and underwriting folks. And um, it certainly was a market that that we thought that there should be some future growth for SBL in. And so um, so we wanted to make a concentrated effort in, in being in that market and meeting with the with the borrowers there locally. And I think certainly from uh, from the economic view and thinking about what's been happening in Salt Lake City, certainly there's good in migration. That's a market that's uh, that's been a very strong rental market in general and finding our way into the small balance loan space is, is really a great opportunity. I think that also uh, as we look at the data on historical performance, like I said, we started and we had very little. Um, and now we were accumulating a little bit more, a little bit more. We have a couple year operating performance. And I think what we see is that the, the rent growth and the, and the NOI growth in these properties has really been um, really solid. And I think that's consistent with, uh, with a strong market, but also consistent with um, good asset selection and, uh, and good performance of this asset class. So um, as we think about this, uh, this business, uh, and we've talked a little bit about the past, um, you know, as we look forward, are there uh, new things that you're thinking about in the business? So a lot of what, when we look to the future, our mind goes towards innovation. We now have an innovation lab and multifamily, and so that's helped to continue to drive some of the efforts that we had been doing within the SBL space. One of the things that we've done that's more um, internal, but it ultimately saves a lot of time, we've completely automated the generation of our loan commitment. So that drives data consistency and it saves a lot of time for underwriters to uh, be able to push a button and generate their commitment. We're also testing out optical character recognition. The SBL purchase team has led the way in employing that to shave 25% of the time off of their review. We're now looking into how we can apply that OCR technology to review of our 1104, which is the combination of the engineering and the environmental report. That's great. I think that when I think of this program, like I say, uh, I've been and looked at this program many times over the 20 years. There was a paper probably 15, 20 years ago that was uh, uh, looking at this space and said, why do small properties bedevil us? And it was basically saying, this is a really hard market to understand. It's a really hard market to serve at scale. And uh, how can we go about doing this? And and I think that was a challenge for years and years. And I think hearing about the history and hearing about the views of, of what you guys are looking at in the future, and, and then thinking about how this has turned into a growing business and how it's serving the affordable market so well, it, it really is a huge win for Freddie Mac. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the SBL program has become a vital way for Freddie Mac multifamily um, to acquire loans on on a lot of those naturally affordable apartment projects. 
Um, we, Catherine and I, are fully aware of the concerns and the shrinking affordable housing space. Um, and so this program allows us to help provide that liquidity that that, that space needs. Um, you know, the majority of, of the assets that we finance are Class B and C. Um, and without that liquidity, Th- those assets may not be maintained and and um, and kept up to the level that they need to be um, for for the tenants and to provide that safe and affordable housing. Right. Yeah. And I and I think by employing some of the tools that we have including the innovation that we're doing around the comp engine is a great way, again, that we have continued to partner with your team, Steve, to look at the rich data that we have available to us and uh, see how we can employ that to make better ultimate decisions. Right, and ju- and just a little bit on that is that so it's it's a it's a difficult business to to operate and to run and to to try to process all the things that are going to drive the economics of the building. I know that your teams look a lot at the at the you know the demographics of the area. You know how much rental demand is there? What's the job situation? You and and you get to know those very specific neighborhoods, and then you get to know the properties, and uh, and that all adds up to these good decisions that you're making. And uh, and yes, so the so the innovation lab work and the thinking about how can we know more about these these buildings quickly, basically doing uh, uh, helping helping your teams uh, get to the point that you're making the same kind of decisions, um, but with the data at hand very quickly, looking at it on a map and consuming all that all that information um, is really I think I think this space lends itself to a lot of thinking about some of the automation that you talked about before. It can be analytics. It can be just uh, streamlining processes, but because there's so many loans um, uh, and that that's labor intensive, and so thinking about how to optimize that is a, is a great thing. And then, as you said, as it relates to it, to affordability, then getting more of these done is going to serve the markets better and keep these units online and uh, and the affordable stock up. Yeah, Steve, you talk about efficiency a little bit, and one stat that I love to throw out there um, often is that in 2018, we financed 2,771 loans within the SBL program, and and actually that was 11 loans less than all of the rest of multifamily combined in 2018. So we we do run a lean and mean machine, and we need to be as efficient as, as possible. Well, this has been great. So um, do, are there any... Um parting comments that that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit, but just to hit it home, we feel like small properties are a key source of affordable rental units in neighborhoods across the country. They house our teachers, our nurses, our police officers, all those folks who protect and enrich the communities that they serve. And as the affordable housing crisis continues, the demand for these SBL properties will likely remain strong. And I think we're just really excited to see what 2020 has in store for SBL and our borrowers. All right. Well, thank you, Meg, Catherine, for being here. This has been really fantastic. Thanks Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you're interested in more, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud.